Amen. As you find your seat, find your place in your Bible, 1 Timothy 4. We'll be going through the whole chapter this morning. This weekend has been our fall retreat with our students here at Grace. As you can tell by the logo behind me and our shirts, the idea um, of our retreat, the theme of our retreat is CrossFit. Um, this idea of training in godliness. Um, if you know what CrossFit is, you know it's like this method of working out that people use. Um, and we have spent this weekend looking at Bible study, what it looks like to study God's Word, not just studying, but what it actually looks like to study it. We've looked at serving, and we've served, and then we have also talked about living a life of worship. When I was thinking about working out and training, I was reminded of a time when I was in high school, my senior year, very first week of my senior year, it might have been the first or second day that we were um, at McDowell High School, and if you've ever taken weight training at McDowell High School, um, you know the weight room's down there, and it's, it's kind of tight, it's not a room for a whole lot of people, well, there were like two class periods full of people in that area. The reason why is because on the first week, um, the weight training coaches want you to get in there, and they want the, some of the guys and girls to show other people how to use correct form when lifting to keep you from injury and to help you grow um, stronger and, and faster and all those things. Well, somebody got up and showed how to bench press correctly, and somebody got up and showed how to squat correctly. And finally, um, I guess... Our, the weight training coach wanted me to show them how to power clean. If you don't know what that is, it's when you take a bar and as you're pulling it up, you know, you drop under it and everything. That was terrible form, but you know, you do that and then um, you, you try to get the weight to right here where it's resting. And he said, come on out, Adrian, I want you to show us how to power clean. Don't know exactly why he chose me, but he did. So I go out there and you've got to remember these couple of things that are going on. All right, so I'm 17 years old. There are 10th graders and there are 11th graders in there that I'm older than. And one of my goals that day was to try to intimidate them. Okay, so you got to think, this is going through my 17-year-old brain. The other thing that's also going through the 17-year-old mind is what? What else is in that room? Girls, okay, y'all know. All right, so girls are in that room. So what am I going to try to do? I'm going to try to just show off, okay? So I get there to the bar, and it's got like 400, just kidding, it's got like 135 pounds on it. And I get there, okay, and it's, it's there. So he's like, okay, he's explaining what correct form is, and he's telling me. So I get down to my spot, you know, and I get, I get to like right here. When I pull, a lot of you are thinking I'm not going to get it. I actually get it up to here. But then when I do, that's all I'm supposed to do because that's all a power clean is, and that's all our weight training coach asked me to do. But what did I want to do? When he turned his back immediately upon telling us how to power clean, what did I think was a smart idea to show off? I'm going to press it over my head. So I do, okay? Some of you are like, you could do that? Yeah, I, I actually did that. And I get it to right here. The sad thing is, is immediately, that's when our weight training coach turned around and was explaining what I was supposed to be doing, and I wasn't doing what he asked. And in this moment, in this moment of right here, you know, where I've got it up over my head and I'm thinking I'm showing off, he just lays into me, okay? And there is like two or three classes in this room. He says, you drop that weight right now, and da 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 you know? So I actually place the weight down really easily, and I walk out of this door entirely embarrassed. Like in this moment of I'm thinking, I'm going to show off, I'm going to intimidate some of these young punks, you know? I'm doing all this stuff, and then I get that weight up, and next thing you know, I'm embarrassed. Walking out of that room completely just like, like a puppy dog with my tail between my legs because 
I can't sit in weight training for the next hour and a half. I think I had to sit out there like an extra hour and a half because of that, because I had like something in fourth period where I didn't go to class. I didn't skip. I just didn't go. So like I, in this moment of like I am going to show off what happened, I got showed up. Um, I was called out there, though, to show everybody in there how to use correct form. I was called up to the center to show everybody this is how you're supposed to power clean. And then other guys were showing this is how you lift other weights. I see some of you um, that I know and recognize from the Y that I see in there. And some of you I know are runners and you like to ride bikes. And you do those kind of things. And whenever you're a runner, uh, what do you set a goal to do? You set a goal to try to cut time. So every time you go out and run, man, you're hoping to at least cut a little bit of time down. Or if you ride a bike, you're trying to cut some time down or go after something a little more difficult. Or if you're trying to get stronger, what do you do? You try to work out harder with heavier weight and make sure you eat enough protein. Or you're trying to cut back, you know, maybe you do a lot more cardio and, and watch the carbs or something like that. But there are goals that we set and we are to train for those goals. There are wrong ways and right ways to train for those goals. The wrong way would be this, like the teenager who's laying on the bench press, you know, and he's trying to show off too, and he arches his back really bad to where one day it's going to break, but he thinks, you know, he's going to be able to get more weight up like that. Just a side note, said this earlier, I'll say it again. If you're looking for a wife, they could care less how much you bench press, okay? Can I get an amen from wives? Okay, thank you. They, as long as you'll clean the toilet, man, that's all they care about. They could care less how much you bench press, all right? But we think that matters. But we think, you know, th that we can go in there and do things that are going to help us, but really they don't. Maybe it's that two-day diet plan that you think, you know, it says on the box, lose 10 pounds in two days. So you do, it for, you do it Saturday and you do it Sunday. Next thing you know, it's Monday and you've gained five pounds. You're like, man, that did not work. Yeah, you lost 10 pounds, but as soon as you ate a brownie, man, it all came back, you know. And it's like, what is going on? There are wrong ways and there are right ways to actually physically train. When I talk about uh, godliness this morning and training in godliness, the word godliness and spiritual maturity, that means growing in our faith in Christ, are synonymous. Godliness and spiritual maturity. When I talk about training, or when I say the word train in a little bit, I'm actually using a term that Paul uses in verse 7. And it's not the idea of a choo-choo train. It's the idea of a disciplined training of an exercise. So when I say that this morning, we're going to be carrying the workout metaphor because of our CrossFit, and we've looked at discipline this morning. We're going to be carrying that out all morning. But as we look at godliness and spiritual maturity as Christians, our goal, if you're a believer and you're in this room this morning, your goal is spiritual maturity. Godliness doesn't happen like a two-week diet plan or you go for two weeks, or you go to a retreat, or you go to camp, or you go to a women's retreat, or a men's retreat, or you go to somewhere for like one weekend or one week, and all of a sudden, you've arrived. It doesn't happen like that. Godliness, maybe if you're, if you're a 70-year-old and you've been walking with God for 55 years, your spiritual muscles are going to be stronger than a lot of other people, but you have not arrived just yet. There are two principles that we've got to see this morning. They're both contrasting each other. I want to see this. When I say the word good form this morning, I'm talking about sound doctrine, correct doctrine, the word of God, and it being applied to our lives correctly. When I say bad form, I'm talking about unsound doctrine or wrong methods of attempting spiritual maturity. Good form is sound doctrine and right ways 
to go for spiritual maturity. Bad form is unsound doctrine and wrong methods of spiritual maturity. So our first principle this morning is this. Don't train with bad form because it doesn't last. Don't train with bad form because it doesn't last. And Paul tells us that in verse 1 of 1 Timothy 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith because they have devoted themselves to wrong methods of spiritual maturity. Jesus tells us this uh, in Matthew 13 in the illustration of the parable of the sower. Jesus says there is a sower who has some seed, and he goes out and he throws it, and he just scatters it everywhere. And some of it falls on the path, some of it falls in the rocks, some of it falls in the thorns, and some of it falls on good ground. What is Jesus talking about? He says the, the, the seed that gets sown on the path, it just gets snatched up. So somebody hears the word, they don't even pay no attention to it. That seed that gets snatched up, the rocky ground. That seed that, that gets sown in the rocks and it sprouts up for a little while and it, everything looks golly on the outside, but when the challenges of this world come closer to their life, they abandon the faith. The seed that falls in the thorns gets caught up with the cares of this world. It's somebody who hears the gospel and maybe wants to respond, but they care too much about what's going on in their life rather than following Jesus. And the good seed is sown. Someone who hears the word of God And it takes root in their heart, and we begin to see fruit, spiritual fruit, in their life. We're going to look at three examples in our first principle. Don't train with bad form. Three examples of bad form. The first one is this. Other worldviews that are appealing. Paul says that some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. There are other worldviews. In this world that seem appealing. One of, one of the ones that maybe you've heard of, maybe you haven't, that just seems to, our culture, in, in, in the Western culture, seems to love this idea of relativism. That I can do what I want, what I decide to be true is right, and it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, I am the boss. This idea is huge. Some of your parents are like, man, I wish you'd tell this to my kids right now. Yes, this idea is huge. This idea that we are our own boss, that we make up the rules, that absolute truth falls to what we say that it is. Another example of bad form is the prosperity gospel. Paul mentions this in other passages. If you have the right amount of faith, God will bless you materially and with great health. If you have um, the, if, if, if you do just enough things with the right amount of faith, God will bless you. What does that do? That takes a, a nugget of truth talking about faith in God, but then twist it and makes it something that does not lead you to godliness. Third person that Paul mentions, or second person, excuse me, that Paul mentions, are hypocrites that seem godly but are not. It seems obvious. A lot of us are like, yeah, you know, I kind of know what a hypocrite is, but those are people without integrity. They say one thing and do another. They say one thing and do another. Maybe those are people who are familiar with church lingo. They know what to say when they come into church, but whenever they're away from the church, their actions and lives are far from God. Paul says that when this happens, they become seared or they become calloused. What is a callous? If you think about these guys playing guitar, it's these things that that show up on your fingers because you've been playing for so long that eventually you don't feel the pain of pressing that string down onto the fret. You don't feel anymore. And Paul is saying that these hypocrites are people that may look godly on the outside, but there is something going on in them that has hardened their hearts where they don't feel anything remotely close to the Spirit of God. 
Let me ask you this question. Could this be you? It's a very real question to ask. Could this be you this morning? The third person that Paul mentions are legalists. He says legalists are people who live and die by what they can do. Let me say this. Legalism is applying rules to your life that we say are necessary for God's approval. Paul's going to tell us in a little while that there are some things that we can do in our life and restrictions that we can place in our life and things that can help us to grow in our relationship with the Lord, but they are not ultimate. Legalists are people who say this, that they apply rules to their life so that God will approve of them. Legalism causes you to think that you bring God's approval to your life. It can cause dissension among people because guess what? If you are keeping these rules that you've set in place and you're keeping those and then someone else is not, what does it cause? It causes you to think maybe you're better or that person to think they are not worthy to walk or talk with you. Legalism causes pride and anxiety. Why? It causes pride because if you're keeping rules that you've set in place, how do you feel? You feel pretty good. But the moment that you break one of those rules, what happens? You feel like God is against you. Legalism causes pride and anxiety. Some legalistic ways are pretty obvious. Like some we know, you know, wearing certain clothes. There's only the kind, this is the kind of clothes that you've got to wear. You know, or maybe using a, a certain uh, translation or doing certain things that we say you got to do this and the gospel. Those are obvious, but what about sometimes whenever, um, ones that are not so obvious, whenever maybe you, you mess up, you do something wrong, you sin, and then you think, man, I've got to read my Bible twice as much this week to make up for that. How about that? That's something that can be very real in our mind. What about when you think, man, this, this wouldn't have happened to me if I had been praying, you know, for the last week. If I had just prayed twice as long, this wouldn't have happened. But then what, where does all your, all your hope lie on? It, it, it rests on you. Legalism is extremely dangerous, but it brings to mind our motivation for godliness. What is our motivation to walking with God? Do we expect something from him, or are we simply wanting to get closer to Jesus? None, none of these ways can bring God's approval on your life, and thankfully so. If, if I relied on my own salvation, even 27 years, if I thought, man, my good works need to outweigh my bad works, then, then here's what would happen. Here are good works, and then here are bad works. That's what would happen in my life, because if I relied on my own salvation, there is no way that I could ever be saved. But thankfully so, I relied on one person, and his name is Jesus. There's nothing else I have to worry about when I know that Jesus went to a cross, and he paid the penalty for my sin by dying in my place. In that moment, when I trust him and believe that I am saved. That's our hope. We don't hope in anything else besides what Jesus has done. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Other worldviews, hypocrisy, and legalism, that, that's bad form. That's unsound doctrine. Hypocrisy, you may look good on the outside, but you're not walking closely with God. Legalism, you may look good on the outside, but you're not walking closely with God. Other worldviews just plain lead you astray. So I've got three questions to ask. Are you being led astray by some kind of false teaching? Is what you listen to or what you watch on TV leading you away from Jesus? Maybe you need to evaluate some of the things that you listen to or watch. 
Are you actively living in hypocrisy? Are you actively living in hypocrisy? And third, do you place unnecessary rules in your life thinking that if I, if I, try, if I do these, then I'll be okay before God? Do any of those three characterize you? They're examples of bad form and bad doctrine, but Paul switches gears in verse 6, and he tells us this, train, this is principle two, train with good form because it lasts forever. Train with good form because it lasts forever. Paul says, be trained in the words of the faith in which you have followed. In other words, you are to grow constantly in what? In the gospel. A lot of us think gospel and we think the day that we got saved or the day that we were converted, that's the only time I need the gospel in my life. That, that's, that's wrong. You were lost. You heard the gospel and upon uh, uh, having Jesus' forgiveness, you were saved. And now you're in a process called sanctification, which means you constantly grow toward Jesus. We constantly grow in our walk with God. Conversion is not the ending point. Conversion is the beginning of a new life in which you constantly grow. This is crucial because a legalist may place restrictions that aren't bad. They just make them ultimate. There's certain things we need to place in our life that say, like, look, we're not making these necessary rules for salvation, but we've got to put these, this in our life because I don't, want to, I don't want to slip and fall. A legalist will say you must keep those in order for your salvation. We say this, there are certain habits that we've got to develop in order to grow spiritually mature. Paul uses the word train in verse 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. The word train there is gymnazo or gymnasium, or this idea of, of training, or physical activity. It literally means a disciplined, purposeful action towards something. When we train in something, maybe we're training our minds when we're in school, or we're training our bodies when we are working out. When we train in something, it literally means that we have a disciplined, purposeful action towards something to improve a skill. It's a training regimen that intentionally improves the skill. When I was thinking about this, I thought about um, a guy that I love to watch play basketball. I, I know a lot of people don't like the NBA. I actually love the NBA. Um, and I was watching him, and most of you, or a lot of you, if you keep up with basketball, probably know of Ray Allen. Anybody ever heard of him? Great, great, great three-point shooter. Okay, so Ray Allen, all-time leading three-point shooter in the NBA, uh, by the way, he, it was said of him that he would, during a season— Okay, I don't, this is just counting regular season, which is 82 games. This is not counting postseason. This is not counting um, offseason when he's, when he's not actually playing. But during a the season, they say that an 82-game season, he would take over 30,000 three-point jump shots. That equates to about 400 practice shots per game. What was he doing? He was training. He was working on his jump shot because he wanted to improve his jumper. He was training. He devoted himself to make sure that his jump shot was going to be improved. Paul says we are to train for godliness. Verse 8 says this, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and the life to come. Godliness is beneficial in every way. Why? Because when you're walking closely with Jesus, who else does it affect? It affects your, your, your spouse. It affects your kids. It can have an effect on your business, on your relationships, on your emotional well-being. Godliness has value in 
every way. It doesn't just affect part of your life, it affects all of your life. But something else that we've got to be clear that we see here. We aren't striving towards something. We're not striving toward something. Like we've got an end goal here and then we're going to reach it. We are striving towards someone. When we train for godliness, when we're growing, our growth is toward the person of Jesus. Think about it as a spouse. Hopefully you don't set this ending point in mind where you're like, you know what, like as soon as my spouse and I, we get to that one place where we love each other just enough where, where you know, I don't, have to, I don't have to worry about it anymore. You know, I'm kind of done. No, we don't, we don't do that. What do we do? We are constantly trying to grow closer and closer and closer to that spouse till death do us part. That's what Paul is saying here. We are growing towards someone, not something. When we think about that this way, when we think about godliness as a relationship and not a list of do's or don'ts, it changes our mindset. Because there is never this end point that if I keep a right list or do a right amount of stuff or make sure that I only keep these rules that the Bible says, then I'll be okay. No, we are growing toward a relationship with Jesus. Who does it say that Jesus is? Verse 10. For this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. We place our faith and walk toward a God who is living and is the Savior of those people who will believe in him. Something else that's got to match up here that Paul says, starting in verse 11, is our Christian profession must inevitably match our conduct and character. Paul says in verse 12, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set it believers in example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. We think about maybe young people when we think this, when Paul says, let no one despise you because of your youth. Timothy, some people think, was maybe 30 to 35 years old. So he wasn't like a young guy like some of you guys are. He was, he was somebody who was a little bit older, and Paul still says, let no one despise you for your youth. How could we may say that? Let nobody despise you because you're younger in your faith. Let no one look down upon you because of your economic class. Let no one look down upon you because maybe what they are placing on your life rather than what is true. He says, rather set an example in what? In speech, honoring God with what you say and encouraging others, in conduct, behavior that matches your life, what you profess, in love, that's a love for God and a love for others, in faith, and in purity. That is someone who is a person of integrity. What you say and what you do match up. When we devote ourselves to these things, we begin to grow. We're going to get to the how-to and the what in just a second, but I want to get this, make sure this is clear in our minds, that we are growing toward a person, not toward just an end goal. When we think that way, we understand, okay, I can constantly be growing closer to Christ. It never stops. It is constant. And when you see someone growing in their faith, it is dynamic. You see it. It is something that's noticeable. Paul says this in verse 15, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. What does he say? So that all may see your progress. What happens whenever you see somebody else who's growing in their faith and you're a believer? It encourages you. You see it and you're like, man, I, I want to grow in my faith. Like, I want to be like that person. Not that you're trying to be like that person. I want what they got going on. I want to grow in my faith. When someone is growing in their faith, it is dynamic and it, it cannot be hidden. Godliness is something we continually train toward, and it must be rooted in this. I can't fix my problem. Only Jesus 
can fix my sin problem, and I want to keep growing and keep training and keep striving to grow closer to him. So what are some ways in which we can do that? Here's the clear application. We need to develop some godly habits. Maybe one is the godly habit of prayer, devotion, time with God. Charles Simeon, an influential English preacher, was said to, uh, it was said of him, invariably he rose every morning, though it was winter season, at four o'clock, and after lighting his fire, he spent the next four hours lighting his soul. I just like the idea of his soul, you know, being lit up by devotion to prayer. Now, while we're not going to wake up probably at four o'clock and spend four hours talking to God, it was something that he disciplined himself to do because he wanted to grow closer to Jesus. What about Bible study? Looking into God's word, memorizing God's word, learning new truths from God's word. How about fasting? Maybe abstaining from something in your life, maybe food, maybe something else, abstaining from something because you're so burdened by something else that you want to fast about that. What about confession? A lot of these are coming out of a book that I have read some of called The Celebration of Discipline. Um, And a lot of these are coming out of here. He says confession. Being a part of a relationship or a group that helps you grow in your relationship with God. Being able to talk to somebody and tell them what's going on in your life. What about worship? Actively living a life where you're praising God by what you do, how you act, and what you say. Maybe service. Maybe it's, it's serving an area of ministry. Or maybe it's evangelism. These are disciplines that you can begin to do. But although I've listed seven big things just now, I want you to ask yourself this question. Ask yourself this question. What can I begin to do to strengthen my relationship with Christ? If you love your spouse, you want to constantly be growing closer to them. The fact that you love Jesus, what can you do to strengthen your relationship with Christ? For some, it may be moving from a Bible app on your phone that has a verse of the day, and you move from that to a devotional book. Or maybe you move from a devotional book to say, you know what, I'm going to buy a study Bible or a commentary, and I'm just going to start studying through a specific book of the Bible over the next 30 days. For others of you, it's developing an active prayer life. If you're like me, when you pray, your mind wanders. Do I have any, do I have any hands here? Okay, okay, good. I'm glad some people are telling the truth. Like, um, when you pray, your mind wonders, what happens? I, I go in early in the morning. It's, it's still dark. I have this little lamp that sits beside a futon in our back room, and I cut it on. It's real low, and it's just enough light to see my Bible. And if at that moment I begin to try to pray silently and close my eyes, what happens? I wake up an hour later. You know, that's exactly what happens. So what, what, what are some things? Like, honestly, personally, I pray out loud when I can. I don't do that all the time. But I try to pray out loud because it actually makes me feel as if Jesus is sitting there and I'm talking to him. Maybe uh, it's, it's actually um, walking through your house. Sometimes I do that. I just walk through my house and kind of pray or, or walk outside because when I'm walking, I can, for whatever reason, I can talk out loud and I can keep my mind on track. For some of you, you need to join a group. You've been at this church now for months or for for maybe years, and you listen to sermons, and, and, and you, get, you get a lot out of, out of the preaching that you hear, but then 
that you feel like you just need a next step and grow, and you need to join a group where you can go to that group and, and confess things that you struggle with, and they can encourage you, and you can encourage people, and you can serve other people within that group. Maybe it's simply sharing the gospel with a coworker. Maybe there's a coworker that God has placed on your heart, and maybe you're devoting yourself to, to God's word or to prayer, and you're just like, man, I know that I have to share the gospel with that person. That's a spiritual discipline. Maybe it's serving on one of our ministry teams here at the church. Maybe it's, it's you know what, I, I need to have the discipline of service. One of them that we talked about this weekend, yesterday. There, there are a lot of things that you can begin to do, but I want you to ask yourself this question. What could I begin doing to strengthen my relationship with Christ? Some of you, it, 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 could, be, it could be four or five. Some of you, it needs to be one. But that's how I want us to close this morning. To walk out of here thinking that, letting that thought permeate our minds so it goes to our heart. What can I begin doing to strengthen my relationship with Jesus? What can I start today? Not tomorrow, not next Monday. What can I start today? It's not that these habits are all of a sudden something that if you keep them all, you're just set. No, they are meant, they're like, they're like tools. They are meant for you to build your spiritual house. You want to grow in your relationship with the Lord, there are habits that you can develop to help you grow toward him. What could I begin doing to strengthen my relationship with Christ? I want us to pray. And as we pray about this, I want you to think about this. I want you to ask God to bring something to your mind that you can begin doing to strengthen your relationship with him. Let's pray.